Many thought the Republican attempt to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, was dead. But today, in fact, within the next hour, the House of Representatives is expected to vote on a Republican health care bill that would dramatically change the American health insurance landscape. The bill has not yet received a score from the Congressional Budget Office, and changes to the bill appear to be happening up to the last minute. It appears clear, however, that the bill would have enormous ramifications for how health care works across the country, including who gets insurance coverage, what people pay for it, and what is covered under insurance plans. With us to talk about the Republican bill are Anna Edney, who is Bloomberg News' health care reporter, and Bloomberg First Word reporter Greg Sullivan. We're glad to have both of you here today. Anna, this bill will affect something like one-sixth of the American economy, the American healthcare system. It's got a lot in it. Um, you know, people have focused on kind of some of the amendments at the last minute about pre-existing conditions and high-risk pools and things, but can you summarize for us kind of what the major provisions of this bill are? Sure. So in, when it was introduced back in the beginning of March, the main focus was to undo an Obamacare mandate that everyone has to purchase insurance and the employers have to provide that insurance. Um, so that would be eliminated in this legislation as well as some tax um, taxes on health insurance companies, drug makers, and the wealthy. Um, those were used to fund Obamacare, so those would be eliminated as well. There's also um, a big piece of this is getting rid of an expansion of Medicaid um, that the Affordable Care Act allowed for. So some uh, some states opted into that and it would wind that down in 2020. So um, at least, you know, a, a few weeks ago, the Congressional Budget Office said that that would mean 14 million fewer people would be enrolling in that program in 2026. So those were some of the main focuses of, of this legislation. It also would replace some of the tax, uh, the subsidies that people receive now under Obamacare to afford their premiums um, with some things that are less focused on income. The tax credits instead would be focused more on age. Greg Sullivan, you've been following the the numbers here very closely in terms of whether Republicans actually have the votes to to pass this. They need 216. What's what's our best sense of, of how close they are? Well, it's going to be very close. Uh, there's still some uncertainty as to whether leaders have the votes. They've been expressing confidence that they will get there, that they will pass the measure. House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy said explicitly, we have the votes. However, dozens of lawmakers have not commented how they will vote or have said that they are undecided. And at least 14 have told Bloomberg that they will vote no on the measure. This means, uh, given that they can only lose about 22 if everyone shows up to vote, it means they're only a few away from potentially not having the votes. So, Anna, people thought that, in fact, they weren't going to have the votes until pretty much yesterday when, when the leadership said that they did. What is it that's what you know, the, the, a lot of the talk has been about how whether or not the bill actually protects people with pre-existing conditions. So can you sketch out for us a bit of detail about what they've changed in the bill that would address that issue? Sure. So, um, you know, uh, first of all, there is an amendment that um, allowed states to apply for waivers that would let insurance companies charge people with pre-existing conditions more. And that's if they had a gap in coverage um, in the previous year. And that was able to help bring um, some of the conservative members on board who were really concerned about bringing the cost of insurance down. But of course, that made some moderates uncomfortable. They weren't sure that there was 
going to be enough protection for people with pre-existing conditions. So there, you know, just yesterday came up an amendment from um, Congressman Fred Upton, and that would provide $8 billion over five years to try and bring some assistance to those people with pre-existing conditions on top of some money that is already in the bill. Greg, that $8 billion is really kind of a drop in the bucket in terms of the, the big picture of, of health care dollars, and critics say that's actually not enough to, to, to make a big difference. But does that seem to you like it has been enough that it has uh, swayed, swayed the moderate members who, who the, the leadership has been worried about losing here? Well, it does seem to have changed the momentum. Several members who had previously said that they were no or undecided have, in fact, gone on the record saying they will support the measure now. It's unclear whether it will be enough to draw everyone needed to pass the bill, but it certainly seems to be getting closer. Uh, Anna, so we only have about a minute here, but there are really dramatic changes to Medicaid in this bill, aren't there? For sure. Um, you know, there are changes to how Medicaid is funded, and so that has even some insurance companies concerned. Um, and then there are changes to the expansion. Um, it There was a wider net that states were able to cast to bring in people for Medicaid, and um, that could, the matching money for that that the federal government gives to states could be going away in 2020. The House of Representatives is about to begin voting on the American Health Care Act, the Republican bill that will repeal the Affordable Care Act, popularly, popularly known as Obamacare. The Republican bill would eliminate the individual mandate to have insurance, change the way insurance companies can handle people with pre-existing conditions, make large changes to Medicaid, and provide a tax cut that critics say would predominantly benefit the wealthy. With us to talk about the bill... Here on Bloomberg Law are Bloomberg News healthcare reporter Anna Edney and Bloomberg Congress reporter Arit John. Anna, one of the things that is interesting about the way this process has worked to get the bill to the floor has been that there is not a CBO score now. Um, there was a CBO score on the previous version of the bill that said something like 24 million people would lose insurance under the bill um, by 2026. Do we have any sense of what the likely CBO score of this is going to be when they eventually get around to scoring the bill? We don't, actually. It's hard to gauge what the effect exactly could be, particularly since the language actually um, for these amendments haven't has not been out there all that very long. Um, you know, there are thoughts on both sides. Republicans claim the changes they make will bring down the cost of insurance, so more people are going to be signing up for it, and that they're not going to lose as many um, in, in coverage as, they, as the Congressional Budget Office has said before. And then there are those um, you know, on the Democratic side who think that insurance will be unaffordable for a lot of people, particularly those for, with pre-existing conditions since some of these changes that were made in the bill and that that could actually increase the number of uninsured that CBO came up with previously. Arit, you're there on Capitol Hill. Tell us what you're hearing from Republicans. Are they uh, still as confident in getting this passed as they uh, suggested earlier this morning? Well, Tom Cole said that they went into their conference meeting this morning listening to Eye of the Tiger and Taking Care of Business. So I think that they are, they have to be confident that they have the votes. That's what we've been hearing for the last few weeks, that we'll, when they have the vote, we'll have the vote. And so for Speaker Ryan to, and uh, Majority Leader McCarthy to schedule this vote after the embarrassment last month, 
they they must have it. And we've been hearing for a few days people saying we're confident, we're confident that Fred Upton's amendment to add more money to pre- cover pre-existing conditions, that that swayed a lot of votes. So I think that people are feeling pretty good, maybe a little nervous, but likely more nervous about what's going to happen to the bill in the Senate than what's going to happen on the floor today. Well, Ari, why don't we talk about that? What What is likely to happen? Let's assume for the moment it gets through the House. What happens when it gets to the Senate? No one really knows. I talked to one lawmaker today who is against the bill. He said, I've heard that the Senate's not going to do anything. I've heard that the bill is going to come back completely unrecognizable. I think that the main problem is that this is a bill that was heavily influenced by the Freedom Caucus. And when it gets over to the Senate, you have a lot of moderates like Susan Collins, even Bill Cassidy, people who are very concerned about what repealing the Medicaid expansion means for their state, because they represent the whole state, not just the district. So I think that you have that wing, and then you also have Ted Cruz and Mike Lee, who some people think will try and make the bill even more conservative. So it, I mean, it's just, it's really hard to say what's going to happen. And then if the bill becomes more moderate, it comes back to the House, and then we do this whole dance over again. Anna, as we've discussed, one of the pivotal provisions in this in this bill is that states would be allowed to seek waivers of, of the requirements uh, of federal law. Do we have any sense as to whether a lot of states would would take advantage of that and actually, you know, uh, you know, say re- reduce the the requirements for for the plans that have to be available for people? So um, a lot of lawmakers have said that on the Republican side have said that they don't think there will be a lot of use of these waivers. Then that calls into question, okay, why is this really in the law then? Um, But at the same time, I did reach out to a few states yesterday, um, some of the more conservative ones, some of the ones where the Obamacare markets are in trouble, like Tennessee, where, you know, they're losing coverage there because there are no options. Insurers are dropping out. And they said, we just don't know yet. We still have to look at it. We're glad for the flexibility if this is actually what ends up being the end result. But we don't know if we'll, that's something we would apply for yet. Yeah, so, so you mentioned Tennessee, and that's one thing I wanted to ask you about. There are other states also, like Iowa, where it looks like they may be without a, a, an insurer who's, who's operating in the Obamacare mar- marketplace. What what would happen if this bill doesn't go go through? What I mean, we're, it's not like the you know Obamacare you know as as uh, um, uh, run by the Trump administration seems to be working very well at the moment. Right. Well, you know, and and there really is no Plan B that we know of. So the. Um, the idea is if Obamacare was to remain law, you know, what could happen? The Trump administration hasn't exactly been um, very keen on enforcing the pieces of Obamacare that might be needed to um, to shore up the markets and maybe bring some of those insurers back. So it looks like the possibility could be going back to the drawing board, but actually having Democrats at the table this time, which is a key piece that is missing that insurance executives have called for bringing to the table because they don't see this being anything that has any staying power if there's not a bipartisan solution. Well, our thanks to uh, Anna Edney, Bloomberg News healthcare reporter, and also to Ari John, uh, the Bloomberg Congress reporter, for talking to us about the impending vote uh, on the American Health Care Act, the Republican alternative to Obamacare that is being debated on the House floor as we speak.